From the Third Coast International Audio Festival and Chicago Public Radio, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. This is ReSound. Bells in Europe. Artist crawls Canterbury. ReSound is a remix of music, documentary, found sound, sound bites, and other intriguing bits of audio we find along the way. We scour the internet and the airwaves for the best audio produced worldwide and bring it to you in a one-hour program each week. Nice work if you can get it, but your job is even easier. All you have to do is listen. Listen to me. You put together a reality in such a compulsive way that you didn't need images. In film, the Germans have Herzog. In music, Wagner. In literature, there's Goethe. And in radio, Braun. I'm Peter Leonard Braun. Forty years ago, Peter Leonard Braun led a revolution in radio making and developed a whole new way of telling stories with sound. Before Braun and his colleagues' legendary work, audio documentaries were stuck within the confines of the studio, with a talking head telling listeners about an event. But in the mid-1960s, Braun took radio making out of the studio and into the world, using fewer words and more sound. It was like landing on the moon getting out of that little vehicle called radio and walking into the scene itself. One of his most famous pieces, called Bells in Europe, chronicles European history through the sound of bells. It investigates what bells were used for, to call communities together, to warn people of coming disasters, to celebrate weddings and mourn funerals. And it looks at the darker history of how bells were melted down for munitions during European wars. The original version of bells is 51 minutes long and in German. But since we can't pass out a transcript over the radio, we're playing a version produced by Steve Wadhams of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. It's been shortened and translated into English. We're looking out for you. Here's Bells in Europe by Peter Leonard Braun. Glocken in Europa. Nachts um zwei Uhr. At two in the morning, the first copper ingot is fed into a furnace. Und dann immer runter and more and more go down that flaming belly mit dem Zinn zusammen, together with the tin. 7,500 weight. Bell metal. Bronze. Es ist so weit. The moment's arrived. Die rote Suppe the red brew has weiß. turned yellowish white. 1120 degrees. 16 bells will be cast this morning. Die Geburt einer Glocke hat noch niemals No one has ever witnessed the birth of a bell. That happens down below in the earth, in the ground. The 16 molds are dug in in front of the furnace. The earth is pressed down tight to prevent the molds cracking under the pressure of the molten metal. There is always silence before the cast. A tense silence. 
The peasants from the Frisian village, which is to get three of the new bells, take off their hats. Their minister is folding his hands to say grace first. It is as it has always been. Almighty God, creator of all good and perfect gifts, thou who hast bestowed upon man the art to cast bells from the ore of the earth, grant us thine blessing that the new bells cast here today be free from any flaw, to proclaim thine glory and to call to thy holy service thine faithful flock. Und deine in Christo Jesu erlöste Gemeinde zum Gottesdienst rufen mögen. Amen. Fangen wir in Gottes Namen an. Nur hören kann man die Geburt einer Glocke. One can only hear the birth of a bell. Wenn die Bronze widerwillig When und schwer aus dem and heavy, blubbert, the bronze bubbles from the furnace, a blazing mire crackling through the feeder pipes until it sears its way into the dug-in mold so that the air escapes with a hissing sound. A bell is a cry out of metal, invented because it was vital for man to give alarm of danger quicker than he could run and spread it further than his own voice would carry. Fire, storm, flood, attack, flight. A bell is a parish clerk calling for assemblies, church services, and tolling the time. It announces a wedding, or a christening, or a death.
ist Musik. A bell is music. Sie singt die Feste. It sings the feasts. Glorifies God and jubilates over peace. Eine Glocke ist eine Prostituierte. A bell is a prostitute. Sie brüllt, was man will. It yells out whatever you wish. Auch Mord. Murder. Verschwörung. Conspiracy. Revolution. Hinrichtung. Execution. Plague. Famine. And war. Eine Glocke ist Material. A bell is just matter. Kupfer und Zinn. Copper and tin. And that is its undoing. Im Kriegsjahr 1940 erlässt die nationalsozialistische Regierung den kalten Befehl. In the war year 1940, the Nazi regime coldly gives orders that to safeguard the reserves of metal for a long-term conduct of war, all German church bells must be handed over to the armament industry. Copper and tin are strategic materials. Natural resources on German territory are negligible. Hermann Göring's intentions are that only ten bells are to be preserved in the whole of Germany. The church authorities secure as a final concession the upkeep of 5%. Total loss? 47,000 bells. Brass cartridges for grenades and machine gun ammunition. Copper for the axle bearings of heavy engines. The aircraft industry has a continuous demand for tin. And the German war machine, that armored colossus, rolls slowly across Europe. The German bells no longer suffice. Poland delivers up bells. Czechoslovakia. Holland. Belgium, France, Italian, Italy, Österreich, Austria, Ungarn, Hungary. 33,000 Glocken für die deutsche Rüstungsindustrie. 33,000 bells for the German arms industry. Bei Kriegsende at the end of the war, the silence in Europe is that of a graveyard. Altogether 80,000 bells are missing. In the church towers, there often hangs but one bell, the smallest one, the passing bell. From the small cemetery outside the Hungarian town of Sopran, the passing bell knells for old Laszlo Bozo, dead for three days. It knells to say that the priest has just left the house of the gravedigger and is now going towards the chapel. The relatives sitting, the friends standing, a coffin decked with gold, flowers, burning candles. 
And God said unto man, I have raised thee from the dust, and to the dust thou shalt return. In the night of February 1st, 1953, a Sunday, fate keeps ticking along the ever-vulnerable Dutch coast. Heavy storms from the northwest had for days lashed huge masses of water from the Atlantic into the channel. Then the hurricane, pushing the high tide against the coast, there's a full moon. It's spring tide. The rivers are at flood level. Und im Licht des Vollmonds beginnt nun der Tod in the light of the full moon. Death bestirs himself to stalk over the dikes, to test whether they will stand firm. Beyond them, in the reclaimed lowlands, all's asleep. At five o'clock, the first dike gives way. With a thunderous crash, the whipped-up sea reaches out for the other side and rushes in so quickly that no one can escape into the expanse of open country. When the first sleepers awaken but to drown in their beds, they hear nothing but the bursting window panes and the gurgling waters. The mayor of Auerkirk is woken up by the telephone. The waters are coming. He runs to the church, up the tower, and pulls at the rope of the only bell to warn the people on the scattered farm. The islands vanished underwater. All that's left is the church and some high ground. Through the heavy seas drift the roofs of the houses, with most of the farmers on top. Twenty of them lost their lives this morning. But already in the next village, three hundred drowned. The Chimes of Dordrecht. These are the most joyous bells in Europe. They can be solemn and gay. They can laugh, console and amuse.
the chimes of Delft. Saying, the most beautiful bells are those you cannot hear from sheer happiness, and which yet you can never forget. Then it is as it ought to be. A wedding in Upper Bavaria. presence of God, I take you, Maria, to be my lawfully wedded wife. In the presence of God, I take you, Hias, to be my lawfully wedded husband. Baptism in Flemish Ghent, Belgium. Lord, thou who hast gathered together all those baptized as one people unto thy Son Jesus Christ through the water and the Holy Ghost, bestow then thy blessing upon this water 
by which these children shall be baptized. Christoph Gustav van der Velde. Christoph Gustav van der Velde. Geboren am 19. Februar 1973. Born on February 19, 1973 at 1:25 a.m. Sohn eines Metallarbeiters und erstes Kind. The son and first child of a metal worker. Wir wünschen dir. We wish you. Sollen es die Glocken sagen. Let the bells say it. Great bell of St. Stephen's, cast from cannons. Gegossen aus Kanonen. Krakau. Krakau. Old Sigismund. Gegossen aus Kanonen. Cast from cannons. Aus Deutschland. From Germany. Cologne Cathedral, Stout Peter, Der dicke Peter, cast from cannons, aus Kanonen. Bells in Europe by 2007 Audio Luminary Award winner Peter Leonard Braun. This English version was produced by the 2005 Audio Luminary Award winner Steve Wadhams of the CBC. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival and Chicago Public Radio. I'm Gwen Maxi. Leo Braun is not only a towering figure in the history of the audio feature, turns out he's a pretty towering figure in person as well. With his shock of gray hair, his thick accent, and his stern, serious air, betrayed by a gleam of skepticism and a twinkle of humor and irreverence, his is not a disposition for the faint of heart. But neither is he unapproachable. He's a dedicated believer in the radio art form who loves to teach you, shock you, and make you laugh. We talked to him about how the seminal piece, Bells in Europe, came to life. I'm not a religious person to start <laughs> with. And I would never have dreamt to touch bells. Do you want the truth? Of course. Honesty, 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 yes. I was freshly married to a French lady. 
I couldn't stand. <laughs> and I had an affair with a Bavarian girl. And we had a date in another country. It was in Switzerland. And I see myself waiting at the airport for two hours, deeply afraid she wouldn't come. And at last, she had a delay, she turned up. And I had booked, it was in Zürich, in the hotel of the stock. And Zürich is shaped like a bathtub somehow. You see, it is, it has, it has a river down there. And then you get, let me say, uprising little hills right and left. And it was Saturday afternoon. And I was together with her. And we had the window open. And somehow we have been hovering. And then they have a custom in Zürich. Each Saturday afternoon, they ring all bells together. And that had an enormous impact on me. I didn't talk to her, but it penetrated me somehow. And I felt I have to do that belt. Okay, that was the beginning. And then I found another crazy person, a sound engineer, Dieter Gossmann, and we traveled Europe. We had expenses for 22 days, and we had a time limit of three days per country. That meant quite a bit of preparation and luck. Wow. We dashed into one country, and there was no handy at that time, etc. Found our story, found our bell, and then headed on. But I had Enormous luck that already in my first station, that was about 300 kilometers west of Europe, I had a little city with an expert on bills. And there I learned that for centuries, the bells have been converted into ammunition, into guns. There had been a very strong element of each war and that Napoleon and Hitler have been the biggest bell robbers in history just to convert it into arms. And there I had my contrapoint. Mm -hmm. And I rang immediately Berlin and I said, find me the next big maneuver. I need shooting on all levels, whatever I can get. And so I played the bells between war and peace, so to speak. And I followed the roles of the bell. I mean, a bell is not only a clock, it's a timekeeper, not only. It's an instrument of warning, flight, flood, etc. It is an instrument, it's an expression of, of music as well. And all these roles I found in one country or another one, and I tried to press it into, well, not to press it, but to express it in stories. So I have two questions then. A, how did people receive 
the piece when it first was heard? And B, what happened to the lady in Zurich? <laughs> it became a classic. And I had a very strange reaction. It was copied privately, and at that time it was not easy. And it was uh, merchandised in Berlin on the black market for 10 marks each. Wow. And strangely enough, especially in the homosexual scene, the biggest expert of music and ballets and things like that you find there. So that was my strongest clientele at that time. And I got divorced from my French lady after a certain time, but the Bavarian one had married in the meantime somebody else. Oh, oh. Well, you'll always have Zurich. <laughs> <laughs> that was Leo Braun. Now, part of what inspired this whole movement and feature-making was the development of stereophonic sound, which could convey detail, depth, and direction in a way that monaural sound never could. Here's Leo again, talking about an early believer in stereo. In the beginning, you need a crazy person. <laughs> Are you that person? No, we had um, a sound engineer with a German name Krüger, and he was already linked in '38 as a very young person to the first stereo recordings of these orchestras. And they collected for quite a number of years, from 38 to 45, end of the war, in our radio building here, they collected these very early recordings, treasures. Nobody could listen to it because nobody in Germany had a stereo set at home. There was only one person, the notorious minister of propaganda, Goebbels, who had a stereo set. So it was recorded to keep it. And then the Russians came in in May 45, and our building was here in flames. And that mad person, Krüger, went in and took as many tapes as he could carry, and they shot at him, and he res rescued his holy tapes. And so he came out with three or four concerts, very early ones, Gise King, Karajan, etc., and he became head of techniques in our station. And he was always supporting stereophonic sound, and we began to call him not Krüger anymore, but Krüger, Krüger. And Krüger, Krüger... <laughs> Krüger, Krüger one day introduced that technique to, let me say, the most capable authors, producers, and whatsoever, and I can see each other sitting in that room, and he was, so to speak, putting in front of us a new set of tools. And everybody said, why the heck should I do it? That is the reaction in the beginning. They said, my trade is sophisticated writing, producing, and what does it give to me if I can move it now from left to right or from right to left? So it was at least a very hesitant reaction, if not a blunt no. 
And Krüger Krüger told me the story afterwards. He said, and you were sitting there, me, Braun, smoking a cigar, saying nothing. And then you said, let's try it. Let's try it. And we tried it. Radio innovator Leo Braun, talking about his early introduction to stereophonic sound. After reminiscing with us about some of his early successes and innovations in the field, Leo went on to talk about new work that excites him and his vision for the future. Last week I was invited to a strange little prize awarding. Our station had asked the audience to send in five minutes pieces. And I couldn't escape from going there. <laughs> I thought, my goodness, all this lousy stuff, and then nobody will turn up. So it's my duty to go there and to make it 30 or 40 persons, but I got caught in a jam. I was late. And coming in, the hall was packed, and I couldn't find a seat anymore. And the pieces, Gotting Awards, have been witty, quite original. So this is what I mean. The audience is there, and the radio has to find it. If you did find your audience, then you have to work with it. Mm -hmm. You have to go along with it. You might even ask them, to follow big issues, to fight uh, corruption or whatsoever. And I'm just asking you to become a bridge. Mm -hmm. A radio has to change rules for me. I mean, I would, of course, immediately start now with blogging and things like that to to take in the audience directly into a program. Radio as a means, as a medium, will not die. It's warm, it's direct, and if it is honest and authentic, it may be even, let me say, come to the most important role of radio it ever had. People outside, people living and all these societies are singled out, are isolated, are separated. All of them need one thing most in life, the best friend. In that line, radio might even change the world. That was audio luminary Peter Leonard Braun. If you hear something that you think is luminary, lovely, or even lousy, let us know. Send all questions and comments to resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Mark McGowan, a British performance artist, specializes in bizarre spectacles of endurance like standing outside 10 Downing Street and kissing a laminated photograph of Tony Blair 100,000 times, or pulling a television for six miles with his ear to protest politicians' control of the media, 
or sitting for two weeks in a bath of baked beans with two french fries stuffed up his nose and 48 sausages strapped to his head to defend the much maligned traditional British breakfast. While undertaking these feats, Mark sends out press releases, grants interviews to news shows, and generates as much media attention as he possibly can. So is his art just an absurd stunt designed to feed his pathetic need for publicity? Or is his art revealing the absurdity of the media industry in general, which mindlessly churns out stories about Mark's absurd stunts? Now he set off on another endurance test, where he's joined along the way by radio producer Connor Lennon. Here's Artist Crawls to Canterbury. Now, over the past couple of months, we've been following the progress of the Olympic rowing champion James Cracknell and television presenter Ben Fogel in their 2,800-mile transatlantic rowing race from the Canary Islands to Antigua. This is the event, of course, that raised a few eyebrows when we were told that at times the boys would be rowing naked. Well, yesterday, James and Ben arrived in Antigua having won the double, so well done to them. Press release, November 2005. The Canterbury Tale. In an extraordinary art performance, artist Mark McGowan will attempt to crawl on his hands and knees from the Tabards Inn in Southwark to the Shrine of Thomas a Becket in Canterbury, which is an epic 60 miles. The event is to start at 10am on Boxing Day, the 26th of December 2005. McGowan will also have a two-foot red rose clenched between his teeth while 18 boxes of chocolates, including Dairy Milk, Celebration, Black Magic and Quality Street, will be tied on long pieces of string to his wrists and ankles, and a large triangular sign is to be placed on his back, saying, Could you love me? The crawl should last approximately 30 days, through wind and rain, sleet and snow. Sorry, it's a bit the sound of you turning the page Read through and then read, well, remember to start that sentence and just so we don't have that noise. The crawl should last approximately 30 days through wind and rain, sleet and snow. McGowan says, A Canterbury Tale is a Christmas piece for all those people who have to spend Christmas alone. It's a pilgrimage for love at Christmas. No, you're fine where you are. Just... You put your legs up, you forward and look up. That's why I can't read the words. <laughs> Just glance up, Mark. How long did it take me to get here? Uh, 20 minutes? Not that long. Yeah. Random Borough of Southwark. Geoffrey Chaucer, 1342 to 1400. England's greatest medieval poet and author of the Canterbury Tales, the Tabard Inn, site from which Charles the Pilgrim set off in April 1386. It's a good place to start. Well, can you imagine one time, like we're standing now in the same place? It's where they used to. Can you imagine the revelry? 
Java Cafe. It's two minutes before seven. And just a couple of minutes to speak to Mark McGowan, who is so desperate for love that he's crawling 55 miles from London to Canterbury with a sign saying, could you love me? Let's talk to him now. Right, now then, um, why would you want to crawl 100 miles on your hands and knees? Well, the only reason I can think of is for love. A sign on his back saying, could you love me? He says he's doing it to highlight the problem of loneliness. Yeah, to highlight the loneliness that some people feel at this time of year, he decided to undertake a pilgrimage to Canterbury on his hands and knees. He's an unashamed crawler and his aim is to find love. Um, Mark McGowan, morning. I'm an artist. Do you know what I mean? This is like a piece of artwork. I'm not Ben Fogel or um, who's that lady that sailed around the world? Who's that lady that sailed around the world? Ellen McCarthy. I'm not Ellen, McC Ellen MacArthur. You know, I'm an artist. That's what, that's what makes me different. That's like me crawling from London, Southwark, Tabard's Inn to Canterbury. That's art. It's good to get into the news media, but I'm not setting it up. So I look like a complete twat for them. How are you feeling now, physically? A bit tired. I mean, I've just got to the start, so it's not a good sign, is it? Feeling tired already. When you lot have gone, I'm going to have a good think about it, because like, when I was in Italy and I pulled the television with my ear, I was looking at the practicalities of pulling it, and I was pulling it, sitting down, pulling it backwards, and then I just got up and walked, and it was really good, it was really effective. Like, I've got to think about the practicalities and the aesthetics of it. Maybe walking's good. You put out, like, a little press release saying, like, it didn't, it's like I've changed my mind. I'm going to like pull them along. It's not negotiable. Anyway, it's like whatever I think is right. Yeah. Mm. I, I, I'll have to uh, have a chat with Radio 3 because I mean, I, I sold the program on the basis that it's called Artist Crawls <laughs> to Canterbury. Yeah. So if it was Artist Walks. No, 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 no. Let's it, get it. it have it, a different. No, he actually said it's called a Canterbury Tale, which it says up on that blue plaque up there. That's the name of the oh, no, piece. the name for, for the Radio 3 programme, Artists Crawl. Yeah. I might have to get, Sophie, if you could check the contract, because uh, there might be a contractual obligation to, for it to be crawling. To crawl. Oh, all right then, well, if that's, if that's what it is, then I'll have to crawl. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, I'm just considering it anyway. I'm not saying that I'm going to. But, you know, yesterday I could have gone all the way. I was speaking to Connor afterwards about it, and he was saying... Oh, like this and that and that. And I say, you know, I think I, I told you already I could do it in 30 days. I think I could do it in less. I could probably crawl 10 miles in a day if I wanted to. I could probably do it in a week. You know, it's not up to him. That's what I have to tell him as well. Listen, Connor, mate, I'm not, I'm not time-wasting. I do something and I'll, I'll do it till, till when, however long it takes me. You know, as well as being an artist, I can be a bit of an athlete as well. What are you doing? Where have you got all the chocolates from? Where did I get them from? The pizza. No, they were donated. Yeah, anyway, I should love that. Cheers, mate. Nice one. I could love you, like I could love any human being, you see. Sailing across 
the Atlantic naked. They're out training in Tenerife. James Cracknell, I think, his partner has had enough. He's out there training every day of the week. Do you know what I mean? Is that necessary? Is that necessary? He's a rower. He can row, do you know what I mean? What are they out there training for? They're just making it up. They just want to get in the papers. I've seen them all the time. I've never seen them naked yet. Just see them in the papers rowing. Oh, Ben. Oh, look at Ben. Look at James. There's this other bloody woman now as well who's sailing around the world backwards. Do you know what I mean? I mean, look what I'm doing. I'm crawling on my hands and knees. You know, surely that's got a bit more of a newsworthy story of sailing around the world. I mean, it's the same game. Rowing, sailing, crawling on your hands and knees. So, just in the, um, the hardware store, buying some gloves. The gloves I had on yesterday were crap. That's Michael Palin on the telly there. Yeah, I like his gloves. You're going on like an adventure. Yeah. It's like me. <laughs> Except for he's in the desert where it's boiling hot and I'm here and it's freezing. Um, we're in um, Eltham High Street. It's pissing down with rain, been raining all morning. Actually, as Telelight, it was sleeting this morning. It's quite hard work out there. Police just swooped on me, like about 20 police. Had me up against the wall, thought I had bombs. They're chocolates. Looks like explosives. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to Canterbury. Should take me about 30 days. Not if Bomber Squad get hold of you first. <laughs> Been on like Sky and that. Been in the papers. Yeah, somebody said I saw something on the news about it. Yeah. Where'd you say? Just in BMPs and I like commute actually. I've got like a support vehicle. Alright. Oh, well, good luck. Alright then. Cheers. I suppose this is what it's like for Ben Fogel as well, isn't it? It'll just be like um, in the sea. There won't be much going on in the sea. I mean, same as Ellen McCartney. Sir Edmund Hillary, Scott of the Antarctic. I mean, great overall story, boring in the middle. Bit nippy, but it's all right. You keep going. You, Where you keep. Going? Where's your destination? Canterbury. Canterbury. Wow. Is it for charity or? It's in the paper today, in the Guardian or in the Times. Have a look in there. Yeah. Are you mad? I'm going to Canterbury. Yeah. It's like it's an art piece. Yeah, tomorrow night. What's it going to be on? On like. BBC, South East News, Meridian. This morning, I got on my emails, I had 27 emails from girls. Yeah. Some of them photographs, sending me photographs already. You find the love, you're real love, you're real love. So you go home every night after yeah. you get to a certain point? Yeah. And I, then I, start I, again from the point where you left off? Exactly, I commute. Got any uh, media coverage yet? Yeah, a little bit. What's your purpose? What message do you want to give the people? I'm looking at um, um, being on your own, loneliness, 
um, um, I'm looking for a partner, but also like trying to highlight people who are on their own. Yeah. This is the holiday period in England, and um, lots of people feel alone. Are you, are you married? No. No. Have you ever been in love? Yes. A long time ago, though. Really? Yeah. To Resonance 104.4 FM. This is New Art on Mondays. My name's Cecilia Wee. It's like, where did the pilgrimage idea come from? Everything I do has got that central thing. It's like, how can I stir up some trouble? Do you know what I mean? Or <laughs> so that's purposeful. Yeah. You're just, yeah. You know, yeah. how can I get in underneath, like through like all the news stuff? Mm. You know, and then like what they're filtered because they make it all up themselves. Well, how do you mean? Well, they make up things about. Um, like people on their own and singles and like yeah. and, and you know and like all oh, this survey said that and all this well I, I take all that in and then I throw it back at them Is there any way of verifying that you have actually been doing what you say you've been doing? Yeah I've got loads of recording Right okay well I'll have a look at that later Well do you know what I did? I put it out in front of me and when I got to it I forgot to press play and when I got home it wasn't actually on there Kent Messenger's going to be turning up tomorrow or the next day or the BBC saying, bloody hell, you got here quick. Like, yeah, they might be a bit say? suspicious. Suspicious about what? Well, that you have actually been doing every part of the journey on all fours. You trust me, don't you? Well, just watch me now. Just see how fast I go. Time me. Do um, a time and motion study. Does that annoy you when people question... Whether or not you've actually done what no, you say you're not, actually not in, doing? Not, not in the slightest. It's a, a tremendous achievement. So, I mean, obviously, people are going to question it. Did Scott get to the Antarctic? Did, um, what's his name, climb Mount Everest? Did Mallory get there first? Or did he die on the mountain? Do you know what I mean? What happens? That's the mystery of adventure. My mum's been abusive. What's she been saying? Give it up. There's no way to spend um, your holidays. So do you think why I'm doing stupid then, Mum? Yeah. Why do you think it's stupid? Because I think you're saying you've got a best sense and start down here some proper money. Why do you think crawling along the road? Too big and a laughing stock of your family. You really are. What, you think everyone's laughing at me? Yeah. Like who? I know people who think you're a bit half as short of a shilling. First of January, New Year's Day, woohoo! Happy New Year! Half seven in the morning. This is the start of a new year. This is the start of 2006. Mark McGowan crawling to Canterbury on his hands and knees, rose in his mouth, chocolates. Let's go. I mean, you got a wire for nothing. Well, if I did, I wouldn't be doing this, is it? <laughs> I've had loads of emails from girls from all over the world. Oh, look, someone's obviously pulled over and done a pup. Oh, all right. No point in muddling over the fact that someone's actually done a pup on the roadside. I mean, we've all been caught out, haven't we? My knees are beginning to buckle again, and my arms. I'm absolutely freezing. It's really wet out there today. Going along. It's still early morning. No one about. New Year's Day. Oh, my, my nose is dribbling. I don't want to be out there today. All my chocolate boxes are all mashed up. All got wet, all scrapped through. I think I'm losing some of my chocolates. 
I don't know what's happening. Come on, son. Get a hold of yourself. There's no one here. I'm just in the middle of a road. The cars don't even bid me. They just drive straight past. I don't think they even see me. Things about loneliness and I end up on my f***ing own again. Mark, can I say hello to you and welcome you on behalf of the Dean and Chapter? Very nice to meet you. Now, where do you want to go in the cathedral? Where was we going to go to the um, Order of the Sword Point? Is that where you wanted to go? Or was we going to go to the Chapel of, um, of Martyrdom? That's right. That's yeah. called the Sword Point. The Sword Point. Yes. Is that where Thomas Beckett was killed? That's right. And do you know Henry II? Yes. Do you know what he did when... Um, you tell me. He, he, he did a penance. He crawled on his hands and knees. That's right. Yes, he did. He was also whipped by the monks, but we won't ask anybody to do No, let's hope. Uh, that'd be nice. Lovely. Big smile for me. That's it. Lovely. Thank you. OK, shall we go yeah. forward? This is called the Altar of the Sword Point. What I'd like to do in welcoming you is to say Christians all through the centuries have made pilgrimages, as you have done. Yeah. And Christians all through the centuries have sometimes done strange things, and you remind me of one of them called Francis of Assisi. He did. He was called a fool for Christ's sake, yeah. and you're doing that too. In your the holy story. fools. That, that's right. It says, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And I want to give you this card. It's a picture of this altar. And I've written on the back, for Mark McGowan, who achieved his aim at the altar of the sword point, Feast of the Epiphany, 2006. Thank so you very you much. Do. Thank you for your kindness. Okay, thank you. Okay. Thank you for the pleasure of meeting you. All right. Cheers. Do you have a sense of achievement today? I do, it's incredible. I feel really, really emotional. And when I arrive, I come through that gate. I just can't believe it when I see the cathedral. It's so magnificent. So I didn't have any expectation about what would happen when I arrived. So actually to arrive and then be allowed to like come through the gate and then crawl up and put the rose. That rose has come from Peckham. Do you know what I mean? I bought it in the pound shop. I love being on the telly. I like being in the news because if it's in the news, that means it's important. Like when I catapulted the old woman in the yeah. rocket, I was in the Daily Mail and there was a news story about it. And I was in the same page as me. There was a, um, Saddam Hussein, Prince Charles and Tony Blair and Camilla Parker-Bowles. And we was all on the same page together. That's Mark McGowan, who's on a sort of medieval-type pilgrimage from London to Canterbury Cathedral. And his mission is to find a partner. Oh, there we go. Whichever way you look at it, crawling from London to Canterbury is... An extraordinary thing to have done. It's an amazing challenge, isn't mm. it? That's Mark McGowan there. He's crazy, but he highlights issues. That was Artist Crawls to Canterbury, produced by Connor Lennon. Or sitting for two weeks in a bath of baked beans with two french fries stuffed up his nose and 48 sausages st- <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> strapped to his head. Jesus, okay. I'm an artist. 
Right, man, this is like a piece of artwork. I'm not Ben Fogel, or um, who's that lady that sailed around the world? Who's that lady that sailed around the world? Ellen McCarthy. I'm not Ellen, McC Ellen MacArthur. It's good to get into the news media, but I'm not setting it up. So I look like a complete swat for them. ReSound is a production of Chicago Public Radio and the Third Coast International Audio Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Delaney Hall and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear dozens of outstanding documentaries from all around the world and subscribe to our podcast. Lead support for the Third Coast Festival is provided by the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, with additional funding from the National Endowment for the Arts, American Airlines, and Chicago's Navy Pier. Music for ReSound is provided by Reckless Records in Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. ReSound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.